our beer of the week this week is Hornet's Nest Hefeweizen. I think I said that correctly. It's like a wheat ale, kind of like a shock top or a blue moon. And it's from OMB, Old Mecklenburg Brewing here in Charlotte. And uh, let's just get into it, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to skim past the Hornet's Nest. That's a uh, big thing here in North Carolina. That's why they're the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, so it's kind of cool to get a, a local beer that kind of represents uh, some nostalgia in terms of just uh, Charlotte history. And speaking of which, uh, David Tepper is kind of making a mess of that heritage. And uh, sure enough, our team didn't really give much of the fans something to root for with the 26-0 route. Uh, we'll get into that with the Panthers section. I'm Stephen Patton, your host, joined by my co-host and dear friend Jacob LaQuire here on Perfect Takes. And you want to talk about a season that has kind of spiraled out of control. Uh, it was nice, obviously, getting the win a couple of weeks back at home against the Falcons, but we have not really been able to play spoiler uh, like a lot of our players on the team have talked about and wanting to see other guys sit at home in the offseason. So uh, do you think that's going to change moving forward or is this just same old, same old? I mean, I hope so, right? We have one more chance to do it. I think the Bucks are in the driver's seat right now for the division. If they win, they're in, obviously. But hopefully we can play that spoiler. But, yeah, like you said, we get the win on, like, that monsoon bowl against Atlanta. Bryce leads the game-winning drive there. And then against the Packers at home, uh, there's some kind of controversial stuff going on at the end, but the offense really performed well that game. The defense didn't really do much, but the offense did well, especially in the second half. So you think maybe we can build off of this going down to Jacksonville where there's no Trevor Lawrence. Um, there's no Christian Kirk. I think Ridley, uh, no Zay Jones. Ridley was kind of banged up throughout the game. So you kind of think maybe we can build off of it, but no, you were right. It was a route. It was the, I believe we had the second longest active streak of not being shut out. Uh, among NFL teams, I think the Ravens were the longest, but that streak is over now because we failed to score any points throughout the game. And uh, after the first drive where we kind of moved the ball and then we couldn't kick a field goal because, of course, Eddie Pinheiro, and I'm not blaming this on Pinheiro, but of course we had the injury luck where he pulls a hammy during warm-up so we can't kick field goals unless they're from 20 yards away because I guess that was Hecker's comfort zone rather so we move the ball in the first drive and then on a fourth and seven Bryce Young gets absolutely crushed Iki Aquanu just lets a guy I think it was Trayvon Walker just run right past him and crush Bryce he's slow to get up and then from that point on everything was downhill I mean after that we went five consecutive drives with three and outs so that first drive like you said we drive down we're pretty much at, at that red zone period, obviously a bad play, icky, same old, same old in that department. And then there's just no production. And this is one of the things that we talked about several weeks ago about Thomas Brown and this offense is outside of a couple drives throughout the game, we don't have answers. We, we don't have the ability to adjust. And then later in the second half when I, I don't know if really you can get back into it down 19 to zero, but you're you're in the third quarter you're you're trying to make something happen and, and dj chark just couldn't catch anything i mean the first drop he had across the middle I, I put a little bit on bryce because if he leads him properly he's he's walking in the end zone with it and he doesn't have to die for it but the two drops after that especially the one on fourth down when it hits you right in the hands the defender is not even touching you and you can't bring it in it's it's stuff like that that's just been absolutely frustrating to watch with this offense and it's it's disheartening across the board yeah and it's especially bad because he had such a good game last week against the or i guess two weeks ago against the packers right where he was uh he was catching everything bryce was throwing to him at the end of the game but like you said that first down over the middle uh he did have to dive but hits him in both hands can't reel it in then on third down, it was maybe Bryce's best thrown ball as a Panther, like perfect, like in the honey hole, right over the, uh, over the, not over the shoulder, but out in front of him by about half a yard, uh, hits both hands and drops it. And then the fourth down, he did the Funches classic where uh, it was kind of the back shoulder, but in front of him to where the defender has no chance of getting it. And Chark just kind of just lets it fall in front of him. Doesn't really fully extend. All three of those plays would have gone for, I think, 25-ish yards uh, if any of them connected. But obviously that didn't happen. And because we didn't have a kick, we didn't have a kicker, so we couldn't kick a field goal. Even though we were down 19 to nothing, I don't think a field goal would have helped. But, yeah, it was just bad all around. And, uh, yeah, all the all the issues, and I do want to say Bryce had a pretty bad day. Uh, 
against the Jags, despite him getting crushed and everything, all the issues that he has are just compounded when he makes the correct play. And yet we have stuff like Icky giving up free pressures or Chark, who's supposed to be the number one guy in terms of uh, skill and acumen, just dropping perfect passes. So like, even when the things go well on one or two wins, the third end can't connect. And it's, it's been like that all year. Yeah. And like you said, if we were going to win games down the stretch, we had to play complimentary football across the board. The offensive line had to do their part. Our receivers needed to get open and catch passes and, and Bryce needed to kind of stay away from making negative plays. And that's just hasn't, hasn't really happened all too much this year. Now, I think the, the shocking part is our defense kind of allows 26 points. And I, I don't want to necessarily say this is all on Evero and scheme, but we pretty much allowed them to go on kind of these longer drives. And that's kind of what Evero's defense kind of allows that Fangio style is, okay, if you want to dink and dunk and kind of move your way, that's how you're going to have to move the ball. And Doug Peterson was okay doing that with CJ Beathard. And like you said, they didn't have like some of their guys to where we've been banged up on defense. Like you said, Christian Kirk, he's out. Zay Jones, he's out. Uh, their offensive line hasn't been good. And we weren't able to take advantage of that. And it's that's frustrating. Like you you want to stay in a game. Like I understand the Packers, Matt LaFleur, Jordan Love has looked great um, this year in his first year. Uh, they have a top 10 O-line. They have weapons galore. Like that's a little bit more understandable. But when you're, you're allowing C.J. Bethard to put 26 points on you, I, I I don't know. I, I, I'm at a loss for words on that one. Yeah, I don't want to, like, kind of trash Evero because there was a stretch throughout the season, like weeks five through ten – or six through ten or something like that, where the defense played absolutely phenomenal. And despite injuries, he made it work during that time. But when we're supposedly fully healthy, I know J.C. Horn didn't play this game, but he was active. They kind of messed that one up by healthy scratching C.J. Henderson – and then Icky can't play, and then Dante gets hurt. So we're relying on – and Troy Hill is not playing, so we're relying on Shaquem Griffin, who we – or, yeah, Shaquem or Shaquille, I, I always mess them up. But we rely on him, who we got off waivers like two or three weeks ago to come in and start. It's just bad all around. And like you're talking about the Fangio-style defense, uh, when you play for, I guess, prevention at the exception of disruption, and yet – you don't prevent even against a backup QB and you're already not getting disruption. I think we're among the lowest uh, group in the league in like sacks and turnovers. Uh, shout out Brian Burns. He finally got a sack after like 10 weeks. But when you do that kind of stuff, even backup QBs are going to beat you because we don't have the superior athletes all across the board. And like you said, Doug Peterson and press Taylor, who's calling their plays, they're just going to say, okay, we're going to dink and dunk everything, even though we don't have our receivers, because you're going to allow that. It's kind of like, and it's not necessarily playing prevent defense, but it's kind of like playing prevent the entire game, like series in and series out, hoping they miss a throw. And that's where you get your big break, because you're not blitzing a ton, you're rushing four, and the four that you do have aren't good enough to get sufficient pressure on the QB. And it's just... It's not all on Evero, but that style of defense definitely hasn't been working the past couple of weeks. Yeah, and I think they also found a lot of success on the run game. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, when we look at series success rate, uh, when they started with a rush, they were over 70%. Uh, when they started with a pass, they were at about 60%. And, and on the flip side, the Panthers are 50% from a passing standpoint. And they were abysmal. They were under 30% on series that started with runs. And that's exactly what the Jaguars defense has been doing all year. Mike Caldwell has those guys playing really, really well in terms of run fitting. And I mean, when you have a guy like Trayvon Walker, maybe he isn't necessarily getting after the quarterback, but the way they kind of play some of those gaps, they're, they're able to suffocate and stop the run, which then almost in turn makes the offense one dimensional. So the fact that we weren't able to lean on Chuba and then nothing's going in the passing game. We, we just completely fell apart. And you would think that on the flip side, exactly like you're saying, Evero's playing this prevent style. Like, maybe get after a backup. Like, send mm -hmm. a couple guys on a blitz and, and get him uncomfortable because that's how you're going to force mistakes. That's how you're going to create turnovers. And that would help the offense, giving them a short field, uh, especially when they're already struggling to move the ball. And it was just it, – I. I, I don't know. I don't know if our coaches have checked out at this point in the season. They're just trying to get to the end of the year. Um, but yeah, we played lackluster ball on the road and, and we have one more game to kind of prove it uh, before the end of the year. 
Yeah, for sure. And I hope we do play spoiler to Tampa Bay because it's always fun to beat a division rival. Um, but kind of moving on around the league, you said our coaching staff really didn't take advantage of something on the road. But the game we want to highlight this week, a former coach did take advantage of the tools he has returning to Philadelphia. And that's uh, Jonathan Gannon and his Arizona Cardinals pulling off the the upset. They got that late or second half rally, fourth quarter rally, and they were able to beat the Philadelphia Eagles. They were. Uh, Jonathan Gannon coming back to Philly. Uh, Nick Rollis, who is the linebackers coach last year in Philadelphia, the defensive coordinator. So I think they have Kazir White on the defense. So a couple familiar faces kind of showing up uh, in that game. And like you said, they they, they fell had it had a deficit 21 to 6 kyler murray threw a pick six early in the game you think the eagles are in control of it and then the cardinals come storming back and part of that is and we talked about this pre-recording is that the eagles are down to backup linebackers at this point in the season their linebacking core coming into the year was already probably below average and then you add in the fact that your your number one cornerback darius slay is out all of a sudden now they're just going to gash you in the run with James Conner. And then if you're going to kind of throw an exotic look, you're more than likely the way the Eagles have played these quote unquote exotic looks or where they they're trying to disguise coverages. You end up with an outside linebacker on a wide receiver. Like I can't tell you how many times you would see uh, this past year, Nolan Smith uh, covering like a tight end or a running back. And that's just a mismatch. And that's exactly what Kyler Murray was able to kind of find and expose in this game. And it bit him in the butt. Like this is an Eagles team that it, while it is well-built, there's a lot of good talent on this roster. There are a lot of holes and they're going to have to address this in the off season one way or another. Yeah, you talk about Kyler finding stuff. I think on the ground, James Conner had an excellent game. Just under five yards of carry. He had 128 yards and a rushing touchdown. That back end, like you're talking about, the the, the entire back seven, not just uh, the DBs, when they're kind of down like that and onto their backups, backups, it's hard for them to deal with a kind of a hard runner like James Conner who's able to one cut, hit the hole, and then bowl over people and we kind of saw that throughout the day but what I wanted to talk about was on the flip side the Cardinals defense kind of standing up and uh, holding firm against the Eagles offense and I know the Eagles have been struggling the past few weeks I think they've lost what uh three in a row um at this point let me yeah. uh no, oh no, no they, they just beat the uh the Giants excuse me oh they but did before, yeah but they've dropped that, four they had, out of the last five yeah before yeah. that they had lost Seahawks Cowboys and Niners and we see this game where, yes, Jalen Hurts does have three passing touchdowns, but held him under 200 yards. And those three passing touchdowns, do you know who they were? Uh, it was Julio Jones. Were oh, Wait, yeah. are we talking about the Cardinal? Yeah, we're talking about the yeah. Eagles. Uh, Jalen two... Hurts uh, threw two to Julio and won the Dallas Goddard. Right. So they're able to take away A.J. Brown, who's their star receiver. And I believe Devontae Smith got injured uh, early in the game as well. He got rolled or... up on, yeah. Yeah, I think he was seen in crutches after the game. They they held those two to a combined 83 yards on seven catches. So when you're able to take away kind of your stars and force them to work to everybody else, which they did to a degree throughout the game, but when when you can't do that throughout the entire game and you're putting the pressure on offense with a nice comeback, that that's kind of the winning formula. And you got to think one of the Eagles' scores was the gifted pick six, and I'm, it was what like a 91, 92 yard. Uh, touchdown return so it was I don't want to say it was lucky but a 90 yard pick six isn't something you see every day so I think overall the Eagles kind of need to tighten up on all ends not just on defense but on offense as well because they're playing I think they play the Giants again this week and they aren't in control of their own destiny as far as winning the division goes but if they play sloppy versus the Giants I mean the Cowboys are guaranteed the division I mean, they're guaranteed the division if they win regardless but still they are. Um, I would have to check seedings, but I would assume the Eagles are going to kind of hold that fifth seed if the Cowboys win the the division. And you're going to play an NFC South team first round, which, I mean, the Eagles obviously haven't been playing well, but the NFC South is just hot garbage at this point to where at least you, you could probably chalk that as a win, but then you're going to go on the road and you're going to play a juggernaut more than likely. Um, and that's just at this point, the way this team is constructed, the way they're playing it's it's not good. I mean, the Cardinals, like you were saying, I, they go from a drive standpoint. Um, they all, all of their drives, if we uh, 
pretty much dropped the uh, first it was the uh, last drive of the first half, pretty much just like an ice it, uh, kneel mm-hmm. out kind of situation. They had two field goals and the pick six, and then all four of their drives in the second half were touchdowns. So it's just they they scored on everything, and outside of that ninety yard pick six, which is uh, miscommunication, they probably would have scored on that drive. So th- this defense can't get off the field. Uh, Jalen Carter has almost disappeared on the second half of the season. He's not able to get after the quarterback like he was earlier in the year. And and when you're not you the the strength of your defense is not able to perform the the rest of it's going to get exposed and that's what we're seeing like week in and week out and you wonder if I mean the Giants played the Eagles well two weeks ago if the Giants pull off an upset like this is this is a team that truly is spiraling right I I think you're right I think they are locked into either the second or or third depending Detroit or the fifth seed so they wouldn't fall below the fifth seed if they were a wild card but you're right they're not playing their best football down the stretch here and as far as the Cardinals go I thought this was a good look at how Kyler and James Conner were able to perform even without their uh the receivers I know uh Hollywood Brown was out this game he's an IR to end the season but they currently hold the fourth pick in the NFL draft this year I think they can move up to two or they can move back as far as seven pending what happens this week but it kind of makes you think like do they need to add a QB because obviously the Bears are going to hold the first pick we don't know what's going they're either taking a QB or they're selling it to somebody uh so that's going to be a QB at one and then number two Washington if that that holds they probably want a QB number three New England they they definitely want a QB so I don't know if that that, that uh, QB that they want is necessarily going to be there. So you got to wonder, are they going to be a team that looks at Marvin Harrison Jr. or an offensive lineman or something like that? I think the games we saw from Kyler and Connor kind of show that, hey, maybe we can wait another year or we can retool and add to the offense and they can be even stronger going forward. I, I agree with that. Uh, I'm very curious to see what the Bears are going to do with the number one overall pick. We'll get a little bit more into it with Coach Talk and talking about Eberflus kind of staying with the Bears. Um, but if they decide to stay with Fields, they don't draft a quarterback, kind of like what they did last year, you wonder, okay, uh, you have two quarterback kind of needy teams in Washington and New England. Do they try to move up to that one spot? Like you said, does Marvin Harrison end up falling? Because I, I think of the Bears where the flip-flop with like Washington or New England get extra picks, they're going to take Marvin Harrison. And I, I know a lot of people have talked about, okay, you get that Ohio State product, obviously with Justin Fields who came out of Ohio State. DJ Moore has been balling in Chicago. And I, again, that's another Panthers player. We've shipped out and he turns around <laughs> and he starts doing wonders. And it's just like, Career wow. Year. I, exactly. It's like one of those things like we we had talent on this roster and we just ship it out for um, pennies on the dollar almost. And so I think Arizona being at four, uh, they did bolster their offensive line in last year's draft. Do they go uh, wide receiver again? Do they take a quarterback just in case as insurance uh, well, and- develop behind a Kyler Murray? But if so, then who's who that who's that quarterback going to be? And you got to think as well, they hold Houston's pick. And Houston may or may not make a wild card. So they could end up having a pick that's around like 16 to 20 ish or something like that. So they would have two first round picks as it stands now. It's just what are they going to do with that that early one? That's the one that people are probably more concerned with uh, moving forward towards the draft. Yeah, no, I, I think that's accurate. Again, I think what the Bears do with that number one overall pick is going to dictate how the rest of the dominoes kind of fall into place. Uh, It will be interesting to see if there are any upsets, because I think right now, um, obviously, the uh, the Bears have the number one pick from the Panthers, but Washington, New England and Arizona all have four wins uh, going into that final week. So if one of them wins a game, um, it's going to kind of change kind of that layout there. And then that's going to obviously impact, Okay. Drake May, Caleb Williams, Marvin Harrison Jr. were those three guys who what I would assume would be the first three guys taken end up falling. Yeah, for sure. And uh, kind of moving on to coach talk, you mentioned Eberflus, and we wanted to include him because there was reports that, I believe from Rappaport, that the Bears are interested and set on keeping him for another season. And I know a lot of people are probably like, well, that's not a good idea. And I'm kind of one of those people but when you look at what they did post trade deadline where they acquired Montez Sweat 
their defense has been playing lights out. Or not lights out, but at a high level, I'll say. Probably top 10 in uh, points, and I believe a top five. Uh, yeah, top 10 scoring defense and top five in uh, yards. And that's Eberflus calling the defense this year. As you know, they dismissed their defensive coordinator at the start of the year, and Eberflus, Eberflus took over on that side. And they've been playing well uh, down the stretch here. They aren't a playoff contender. Um, yeah, I think they're mathematically eliminated, but they're 7-9 and nine right now. They've won their last two games, and they're kind of rolling on both sides of the ball. But I think that defense in particular is really locking down, not locking down, but kind of uh, locking in per se and playing at a high level. Well, when we were breaking down this team in the offseason, uh, the biggest question mark we really had about this defense was the edge presence. And mm-hmm. they, they signed Yannick Nagakwe right at the start of the season. Uh, they had some nice pieces on the interior. They obviously have Jalen Johnson on the backside. They invested in linebacker in the offseason. And it's you, you bring in Montez Sweat, who's a, a good, solid pass rusher, but he's phenomenal in the run game. I mean, this guy is a, a true tone setter, a true edge setter. And the Bears, I mean, like you were saying, from weeks nine till now, uh, from like an EPA standpoint, are the second best defense in the league. And and that's huge. Like, again, this is uh, props and flowers to Eberflus for kind of turning this defense around over the past couple of years. Fields, when he's come back from his injury, has looked good in several games. The players really want to see Fields kind of be the guy. Um, and I, I think I'm okay with Fields being the guy next year, but I think it would be smart. And I've seen this from uh, Jason with uh, Fitzgerald from OTC. I've seen it from Kevin Cole, who was formerly with PFF. Talk about, hey, take that quarterback, put it behind Fields. We've seen Fields be out for stretches the past two years with an injury. If he goes down with like, I wouldn't say like career ending, but one of those season ending injuries and you have a guy that can step in and play phenomenally with a team that is ready to play for the playoffs, like go ahead and do it. And like, I I think that's the smart thing to do with that pick because you can take another wide receiver in the middle of the first round with your first round pick. Um, You can beef up the defense in later rounds. Uh, You can add some interior offensive line pieces. And this is a team that'll be competitive in the NFC North next year. Absolutely. Uh, their last seven games, I'm looking at it now, they're five and two. And their two losses were to the Lions, who had that weird rally. They won by five. And then to the Browns, who have been probably the best team or one of the best teams in the league the past month or so with the Flacco resurgence. They also the Browns by three in Cleveland. So that was a tough game as well. I think they're firing on all cylinders. I think you're right that Fields is a guy that can play there next year. And like you said, it, Look at it like this. Even if they don't take a QB at one and they mortgage that pick, they're probably going to get more from a later pick, like say pick six or something, than what the Bryce Young Young trade yielded because in a lot of evaluators' eyes, Caleb Williams and Drake May are much better prospects, right? And so the opportunity to They're getting compared to the Trevor Lawrences. Yeah, in terms of prospects. And I'm I'm not saying that's (laughs) true. We'll get more into that in the draft season. But these these are guys that are considered like top-end prospects. Right, so they, even if they don't take anybody there, they can get a haul for that number one pick. So I think the Bears are in a good spot moving forward, and Eberflus is going to have, uh, I think, a favorable or an enviable position coming next year. Now, another coach we want to talk about, and this is just an obligatory shout-out. We have to talk about Mike Tomlin. Uh, he he kind of proved us wrong with that little skid they, three-game skid they had there. He's locked up another winning season. Uh even before the season's over. So 17 straight years that he's done it, one of the best to ever do it. But we have to mention that because the streak is continuing. Yeah, no, the streak being continued, he's played, or not played, he's coached uh, two phenomenal games the past two weeks to kind of keep their season alive. But you wonder if like, hey, you pulled out a game or two in that losing skid that we were talking about. Like this is a team that probably has that playoff spot locked up. And right now they're kind of, that fringe like outside looking in and that's just that's where as a franchise you're kind of disheartened uh i will say uh mason rudolph has looked a lot better than mitchell trubisky i don't know why it took him so long to get to mason rudolph as the starter um but he has definitely uh played admirably for the steelers uh the run game has been uh i I wouldn't say unstoppable but against the seahawks they completely dominated Najee and uh, jalen warren looked really really good um, and, and that's always cool to see. Now, like you said, this is an obligatory. We just had to mention them. Uh, guys that we want to talk about, two offensive minds in particular, these these past two guys were defense, but Sean McVay, 
I, I mean, this year taking the squad that he has and and props and hats off for Raheem Morris on the other side, his defensive coordinator. This is a team that did not have a lot of talent, and they they had a lot of late round picks, and they've developed them in year one. And like that's hard to do. Sometimes you'll see these late round picks develop, but it takes them a year or two. Puka Nakua hit the ground running. Byron Young hit the ground running. I think the guy's ha- has like nine sacks on the year. Puka Nakua uh, is like about to break the rookie record. Like it's just insane. And and Kobe Turner, an interior defensive line, I believe, leads all interior rookies and pressures and sacks. So Which and, is and all the all these guys are like round three or later as well. And, and I, I think I saw the breakdown. Uh, at least two of them were like comp picks they got for mm-hmm. like uh, a, a player that left the squad. So it's just, again, Les Snead uh, working some magic on the back end of the draft. And, and this is something that they've had to do for, I, I want to say it's like almost approaching a decade at this point because they drafted Jared Goff back in like, t- what, 2016? 2016, that was their last first round pick. <laughs> and and they, they have found ways to identify... Um, and develop talent on the back end. We saw it with Cooper Cup in the third round uh, back in 2017. Uh, we've seen it with some of their uh, other O-line prospects uh, that they've had. I mean, Steve Avila has been huge. Uh, I think he was their second round pick, though, this year. Uh, been an absolute stud on that offensive line. And it's just, it's cool to see because from like a talent perspective, this team should not have won as many games. Now, a team that was loaded with talent, they are over the cap on uh, going in the next year, have a lot of wiggling to do to stay under the cap are the Cleveland Browns. Now they had a lot of hoopla kind of on the offensive side with the quarterback position, et cetera, et cetera. Um, defense carried them for most of the year, but Joe Flacco comes in the past several weeks. And I mean, he's throwing 300 yards. He's getting the ball to the playmakers. He's pushing the ball downfield. Uh, he's playing yellow ball at this point in his career. And it's, it's fun to watch. Yeah. He's absolutely launching it. And I think what gets lost in the the highlight plays is he's also generating a lot of turnovers, which is never good. But it doesn't matter because they keep scoring 30 points a game and their defense keeps locking people down. And so if they're able to do that and he can cut back a little bit on the turnovers, they I don't want to say they're going to have a 2012 run because his run that postseason was incredible. What was it, 15 touchdowns uh, in yeah. four games, in four playoff games, which absolutely bonkers. But – if they can play at a high level like that, they're going to be a dangerous team in the AFC playoffs because they're locked into the fifth seed, I believe. Um, it might be they Miami. They can't win the division. Yeah, right. They, that, yeah. Baltimore's already won the division. Um, but either way, they're going to play the AFC South most likely in that first round. And like we said, Jacksonville's struggling. I think Houston and Indy aren't complete teams that could like face and beat them in a playoff game so this is a team that could be dangerous down the stretch and i, mean, I, I do want to give credit. Beat jacksonville and houston like that's the crazy right part. and the colts as well uh 39 yep. 38 victory um, that, that was a barn burner that was fun to watch yeah i do want to give credit to kevin stefanski because during our predictions episode i thought he was going to be the first coach fired due to the the poor play of deshaun watson and we were both right there Watson was absolutely horrific this year uh, in terms of on the field play. But when he was able to kind of get wins with PJ Walker, uh, DTR was serviceable. I wouldn't say he was good, but he was serviceable. serviceable. He's definitely has his rookie struggles. Hopefully he develops into a solid backup. But I mean, at this point, he's just used for short yardage plays. Fifth round pick rookie. And I think that he didn't like completely shut down games is what I mean. Um, okay. Like they like they were able to lean on the running game and stuff, and he didn't have to make a ton of plays. But and now down the stretch with I believe thirty eight year old Joe Flacco, what he's been able to do for all of them to get them to play at a high level relative to who they are. I guess I'll throw that in there for DTR. I I think it's been incredible, and I think you have to discuss him in the coach or have him in the discussion for the coach of the year conversation. I know both of us are big Mike McDaniel fans, but I think it was more expected that their offense would be better. I didn't expect the Browns offense to be this good and they're firing on all cylinders as of late. Well, I, I will say even like with seeing kind of the offensive production as late, because you bring up points, uh, you bring up uh, the fact that uh, 
Joe Flacco has kind of been torching teams from that standpoint. They they haven't been good from like an EPA standpoint. They've been average on that front with Joe Flacco on the year. This is an offense that ranks 28th in EPA per play. So this is where it's like Kevin Stefanski has kind of done a bend, don't break approach there. And that's why I said they've leaned more on that defense. This is a team that was had their back up against the wall in terms of a salary perspective. That's that's my hesitation with handing him coach of the year. This is a guy that had a loaded roster going into the year. You expect them to make the playoffs. You expect them to be in this position. Otherwise, like, why are you paying these guys all this money? Um, that's, that's why I think a job like Sean McVay, what he's done in L.A., uh, deserves a lot more credit. Uh, Mike McDaniel, what he's doing in Miami, like we saw what that offensive line looked like last year's first year. They didn't really add anybody. Like that that offensive line is pretty much the same, and he's been able to mask that with some of his play designs. And obviously, you go up against tougher competition, better defenses. They're able to kind of take that away from you. Uh, but this is a team that I, I did not see keeping Tua like upright in the pocket and. The way they have it schemed up, Tua is getting the ball out of his hands quickly uh, and to the playmakers. And I, I think a lot of that uh, props to him. And I, I know Mike McDaniel wasn't on our script here to talk about, but that's that's where I would say the cut above. I think Kevin Stefanski should be in the running for coach of the year, but that's my hesitation in giving it to him. I hear what you're saying, but you could also argue that the salary, uh, particularly from one player, kind of works against the Browns, especially on offense. Like obviously they brought in and paid a lot for the defense this year. And I don't want to take anything away from Jim Schwartz, who's been phenomenal this year, but uh, the salary of Watson where they pushed money into this year uh, from that first year, if I recall correctly, just kind of uh, lopsiding that offensive spending, they have to work around that. Obviously they have Amari Cooper uh, as a big ticket on offense, but other than that, who are their high paid players? Uh, Nick Chubb, who they lost earlier in the year right so they have guys like uh elijah moore or a rookie cedric tillman receiver or david and joku who i believe they extended before the season they did the joku and cooper are probably the two highest on offense outside of obviously the watson contract which is i mean that that has looked awful and then on top of that the year after that gets handed out teams have the ability to go after lamar jackson who we'll talk Mm -hmm. about a little bit more for, for two first-round picks, and I understand you you try to sign him to an offer sheet, you negotiate the deal, the Ravens can match it, and Lamar doesn't leave. Now, a team like the Falcons, which we're seeing them spiral this year, and I know Jason talked about this a lot in the offseason, you front-load that first year, you're going to make it really hard for Baltimore to match it. And we didn't see a team do that. Like we, we the, the, the whole idea was, and I'm, I'm buying a little bit more into this. I was a little bit skeptical, but that, that owner collusion standpoint of going, okay, we saw what happened last year. We're not going to allow this to happen moving forward. And it's been a lot of teams in the butt because Lamar Jackson looks like he's going to win the MVP two years in a row. Now we're jumping ahead of the gun. We'll talk about playoff scenarios first. And in the driver's seat, first seat in the AFC, that's where the Baltimore Ravens are. And, I mean, they are one of the best teams top to bottom. Well, yeah, you talk about the Ravens, and you talk about this week, not to gloss over some of the best performances. Uh, This was Fantasy Football Championship Week for a lot of people. I won the championship in one of my leagues. Uh, It was kind of like not a very uh, impressive league. So I'll say that I don't want to gas myself up, but Lamar Jackson was pivotal in that role as well. He uh, he led all QBs in scoring this week. Obviously, the five touchdowns, 35 rushing yards. He had 36 points uh, in a regular format league, but he was absolutely lights out this week. I believe he had a perfect passer rating as well, which is always difficult to see nowadays, especially he's, with that pass happy league. Three three times, and the list of quarterbacks that have had that it's like Kurt Warner, Tom Brady. I think Big Ben's on there. Like right, he with, is in. With like a at least goaded. 20 pass attempts. So not like yeah. Uh, five. Yeah. So like an actual <laughs> passing performance, right? Absolutely. And like you were saying with the the fantasy kind of winners, um, out of the four leagues I was in, I was in the championship for two of the leagues. And um, I had CeeDee Lamb in one, but in that league, I went up against Devontae Adams. Uh, in another league, I went up against Kyron Williams and Lamar Jackson. And these were guys that were just going gangbusters this past week. And um Obviously, didn't pull off those wins because I faced some of those performances. Um, but like you said, these are these were league-winning performances. David Njoku had one on Thursday night, having almost a 20-point game as a tight end, which is, I mean, tight ends are hard to come by in terms of production and performance this late in the season with uh, TJ Hawkinson injury, uh, Travis Kelsey kind of falling off. So very cool to see 
uh, some of these guys impact kind of fantasy playoff implications? Yeah, for sure. Uh, if you had any of those guys, you know, C.D. Lamb, Devontae Adams, you probably won. If you didn't, you pl- you probably played against like three people, like you were talking about. But uh, moving forward, we were we were on the playoff scenarios, and you're right. For the AFC, Baltimore is in that number one seed. They've clinched it. They're holding it. They can't lose it. So they may end up resting some of their players this week. Who knows? And that's probably beneficial for Pit. Yeah, they play Pittsburgh on the early window on Saturday, but the number two seed is up for, I guess, a uh, debate or it's contested. Currently Miami holds I'm it, time. but for, it is. Yeah. That's the last game I believe of the week, right? That's the, the night game. Yeah. The Sunday night game, but it's either going to be Miami or Buffalo. Uh, Miami's holding it right now. If they win, they're in, but if Buffalo wins, they're in, that's going to be a, a very interesting one to see. But regardless, Miami is already in the playoffs. Buffalo could miss out. A lot would have to happen uh, for them to miss out. Um, I think they'll they'll still make it in. It will be interesting with some of the AFC South games. I believe the Indianapolis-Houston game is actually one of the Saturday games. So mm-hmm. that kind of you, – you'll kind of understand some of the implications going into Sunday of uh, how that game unfolded and how that plays out for everybody else. So that will be interesting. The Sunday night performance, uh, I remember growing up at least like 10 years ago, it felt like – Every year it was like an NFC East matchup uh, that final week. And so we get an AFC matchup that could end up being the game of the year. This was a a game the Bills controlled early on uh, when they played their first division matchup in Buffalo early in the year. The the Bills defense doesn't have Matt Milano. They don't uh, have, obviously, Tredavis White. Uh, They don't have some of the pieces that were pivotal in that dominant performance. And And Von Miller was a healthy scratch this week as well, this past week. And, and I mean, don't get me wrong. Sean McDermott has been able to coach the the hell out of these guys. Uh, they have played hard in several of these games. But you wonder with some of these pieces they didn't ha- they don't have like they had earlier in the year, if they're going to be able to stop this Dolphins offense. This is in Miami. This is prime time. Um, I'm, I mean, Tua could choke this away, but we've also seen Josh Allen in some prime time performances, kind of put up some stinkers. And last week, like. As as much as they did beat New England, like that wasn't a good performance. It was very sloppy from Josh Allen. There's a reason why Lamar Jackson is an MVP front runner. It's because that they don't dominate the games that they should, especially down here at the stretch. Yeah, that Patriots game was just uh, really abysmal. I, there's no other way to put it. I I think early it was like Zappy was O of six and Josh Allen was O of six, three. Right? Yeah, he threw a pick six. Uh, neither of them threw a touchdown. Bailey Zappi threw three interceptions. Josh Allen threw one as well. Uh, it Both was had just a rushing touchdown, though, which yes. was... The Zappi 17-yard run was uh, an interesting one. And Josh Allen had two one-yarders. They weren't tush pushes. He actually ran them in himself, so props to him. But uh, And th- that was a nutty game, too, because the very first play, Jalen Rieger houses the, the kickoff. Opening too. kickoff, yep. So... It was just a wacky game all around. I guess you could chalk it up to being a division game, and division games are always weird. Like earlier in the year where Mac Jones put 30 points on the Bills. So you can never count out a division game there. And uh, lucky for us, all the games in Week 18 are going to be division games. I I always like how they set that up because the implications in the last week are huge with these games. So we'll we'll be lucky to get that one. You already mentioned the Indy and Houston one being on Saturday as well. Another important one on Saturday is the Steelers Ravens. Like we were talking about the Steelers can get in that probably need a little bit of help, but the Ravens don't really have anything to play for. Right. I think Lamar's locked up the MVP. It's like he would have to play and throw like six interceptions or something for him not to have it in my opinion. Uh, So we could see the Steelers kind of get that win there. If uh, the Ravens are gracious and get 10 wins and kind of move into that six or seven spot. I mean, we saw Huntley play well down the stretch last year. This is an offense that is starting to find its groove. I, and that's the one thing I think early in the year, a lot of people are knocking Lamar Jackson's stats. This was an offense that was trying to find itself with a new play caller, with a lot of new pieces. And they're now kicking in the gear. Like when they want to generate stuff, like they have a lot of answers. 
Uh, they were able to put the Miami Dolphins linebackers in pretty much hell. I, they didn't really go after Jalen Ramsey. They let him kind of stay on his island, and they they kind of diced the rest of the defense up from there, and that was cool to see. Um, we're we're going to switch our attention more to the NFC playoff picture now, um, but San Francisco locked up the one seed with kind of the outcomes of the Sunday games with Philly losing and them uh, winning, of course. Uh, the two seed is going to come down to probably, I would say, Dallas or Detroit. I think Dallas will beat Washington in week 18 and and kind of lock up that two seed and play the seven seed. Uh, the three seed will probably be Detroit. And I think the Rams locked up the six seed. So Matthew Stafford's going to be coming home. That should be a fun game wildcard weekend. And, and we'll talk about that more next week. But, I mean, that's exciting. As far as I'm concerned, Detroit should have locked up the two seed this past weekend, but there were some shenanigans at the end of that game, we'll say. Um, but no, you're right. I, I think it is going to come down to Dallas or Detroit. Obviously, Dallas, we need to lose. Detroit, we need to win for that to happen. But Dallas is in the driver's seat because they have the division tiebreaker. Um, and they are in Washington this week, I believe, whereas the yep. Eagles are in uh, not New York. It's uh, well, East Rutherford. East Rutherford. No, it is, but it, yeah, they, they play are. New Jersey, East Rutherford, New Jersey is where yeah. the state. Oh yeah, they yeah. aren't playing in New York. Yeah, they're yeah, playing, yeah, yeah. But th- they're both on yeah, the road. <laughs> correct. Yeah. So neither of these are like home game gimmies. You know, like at, they could mess these up. Like we talked about, the Commanders are feisty in division games this year. The Giants played the Eagles pretty well tor- uh, until the end there a couple weeks ago. So both of those games could go either way. Not either way, but they could put up a fight. And then Detroit's locked up the division, obviously. It's just a matter of, are they the two or the three? And I kind of hope they get that three, like you're talking about, have the Matthew Stafford reunion. Uh, yep. But I do think the, the Lions outclass the Rams at a lot of positions, uh, talent-wise. So that'll be interesting. And then the, the number four seed, our NFC South representative. I believe Tampa Bay is in the driver's seat, but... All three teams, not all four, because the Panthers aren't there, but all three teams do have a shot at it. Yeah, I mean, so Baker, Baker, towards the end of the game last week against the Saints, and they could have wrapped up the division with a win there. They don't lock it up. Uh, they got dominated on both sides of the ball for the majority of the game. Baker Mayfield had a rib injury, and you wonder if he's a little shaken up. If the Panthers, which our two wins have come at home, we played them well in Tampa a few weeks back, if we're able to kind of like disrupt some of the stuff they do, Bryce Young is able to take advantage against a bad Bucks defense. There's a chance we play upset, and then that really like gives New uh, New Orleans and that Atlanta game kind of the driver's seat for the NFC South. And I I want to let you guys know is that Atlanta is good at home. They, they have played really really well at home this year, but when they're on the road, they are not good, and they are going to be in New Orleans for this game. Um, I think this is time for Derek Carr to prove kind of why the Saints paid him. Uh, I understand they're in some cap hell themselves. And so you wonder if they can kind of redeem kind of the year. There's been talks that Dennis Allen is going to be back next year. And I I don't know if that's best for that franchise. Um, I don't think the defense has been bad, but they do need to find new answers, especially at that play caller. Pete Carmichael is just not the answer there. Um, any, Any thoughts on the NFC South before we talk about the wild card? Well, I do kind of wish that they weren't all at the same time. Like, both these games are at 1 p.m. Like, it would be cool if Panthers-Bucks were at 1 and we beat them. So then the Bucks would have to wait and see. Well, no, the Bucks would be out. But then it'd be like, oh, there's more There's more pressure on this game for the Falcons and Saints. We got to lock in. We got to win. But it is at the same time. So hopefully one of the games wraps – or our game wraps up quick so the Falcons and Saints can see what's at stake. But I do believe – those three teams mathematically have a shot at the seventh seed if they miss out. But I think Seattle, Green Bay, and Minnesota are all ahead of them, both in terms of talent and uh, like tiebreakers. So it's going to come down to Seattle, Green Bay, or Minnesota. And I think Green Bay is playing well as of late, but I would love to see Seattle in there. I know both of us were high on Seattle in, at the start of the season, and hopefully they can get in and make some noise in the playoffs. Well, that's the thing. If Seattle gets in, they're going to go to Dallas, have a rematch that that barn burner that was a few weeks ago in prime time i think it was like the week after thanksgiving and so that that'd be exciting to see uh green bay they're gonna have a home game in lambo against chicago they absolutely ran to, uh, chicago out of the building in chicago earlier in the season i think that was like week one 
Um, so those, I think those two teams are pretty much in the driver's seat for that, that seating. Um, I, I thought green Bay would win the division this year. That obviously didn't happen, but this is a team moving forward that I think the Packers, like they figure out a defensive play caller situation. They, they add a little bit more depth on the back end. I know there's been some drama with Jair Alexander and they haven't really had a number two corner. I, again, I don't know why they traded away Rasul Douglas for a late round pick. He's been balling in Buffalo and he'd be huge in kind of their playoff push. Um, but I, that, it, it's going to be a spicy game, I think, in Dallas, um, because I think Dallas locks up the two. Uh, I really want to see the Detroit Rams game. I think the Rams play teams really, really well, uh, and they, they could be a feisty, feisty play. And then you'll probably end up having either the Bucks or Saints uh, hosting the Eagles. Yeah, and uh, I feel bad for the Bucks or Saints because I think the Eagles are going to be convicted in that game because like we talked about they haven't been playing their best ball down the stretch here and if they want to make a run this is the team that made it to the super bowl last year right so they know what it takes and i think that once they realize hey we need to lock in here we need to get stuff done i think they'll take care of the nfc south representative there pretty easily but yeah it is going to be interesting seattle or green bay i think for that seven seed jordan love has impressed me down the stretch he had a a very uh We'll just say very poor start to the season. Those first three weeks, he was missing receivers. He just wasn't accurate. I don't know what clicked, but maybe it was just getting used to the young receivers around him because I think they have the youngest skill position group in the entire league. All their starting receivers and most of their depth are either first or second year, and it's the same for their tight ends as well. So I think once he got used to that and they built the rapport, they're able to really click and find stuff. And Matt LaFleur, obviously – uh, is a good scheme, like he can scheme up some stuff. I think it's going to be interesting because they would play Dallas, presumably Dallas. I think we can say Dallas is the favorite for that two seed. And I think that would be an interesting game as well because, like we are talking about, they are playing well as of late. It would just be, can they hold, or can they not allow Dallas to score 50 or something? Because Dallas is capable of doing that, especially against a poor defense. They are. Um, the Seahawks, I think their biggest struggle is when Nwoza went down earlier in the season, uh, their run game uh, started to become abysmal. And we've seen a lot of teams take advantage of that. Um, then they have guys in the secondary like Reek Woolen. I mean, great in coverage, but he's he's I, I mean, this might be a little bit vulgar, but he's he's a little bit of a pussy when it comes to like run game fitting like this guy just stands on the side and he doesn't get in there. And I know George Pickens got a lot of heat for kind of the same thing with not being active and blocking. And it's just I, I don't want to say that the league's gotten soft, but some of these players just look out for their own health and safety rather than their their team. And I. I personally enjoy watching team players. Like I, I think it was the week after uh, George Pickens wasn't blocking for Jalen Warren. Jalen Warren was like a lead blocker for a wide receiver and he blew up a linebacker. It's just, that's the kind of like play you want to see from your players. Those are team players. Those are guys that should be extended. Uh, when you aren't playing team ball, it just, it's, it's bad the next day in the film room and you have guys looking at you like, really? Like that was the effort you put in. Yeah. I, Woolen's definitely regressed, I think, from his rookie. I think his coverage has regressed as well. And I think it's a lot worse as a DB not willing to fit the run than a receiver not blocking downfield. Yeah, yeah, that's, no, no. <laughs> that's one of the things when I'm looking at DB college, like college DB film is always are they willing to fit the run, especially corners and like 90% of them it's no. Like unless you go to Alabama or Georgia, it's probably a no. But um, yeah, that's something that needs to uh, – he needs to increase his ability to fit the run there if they want to make a run in the playoffs here uh, down the stretch. But I don't know. I don't think they're going to beat Dallas if they get matched up against them. No, uh, like I said, the best best you could hope for is a barn burner situation like it was a few weeks back. Um, and I jumped the gun earlier. I uh, almost skipped a few segments. Uh, you reeled us back in. But we are, we are kind of in that uh, we did our bad takes uh from the preseason last week we talked about doing our good takes this week and that's kind of merged with our mvp watch and particularly because you were a guy that thought lamar jackson would win mvp prior to the year and he's in the driver's seat right now for it right? like, yeah. that's that's pretty exciting yeah i'll take my victory lap on that one uh everything it didn't happen as quickly as i thought i thought that he would be able to mesh to todd munkin's scheme a bit quicker but like you're talking about new play caller new weapons it needs time to kind of gel for everything to work out and 
now down the stretch, it is working out. And they did have some good games early. I don't want to take away from that. I think it was week five or six where they absolutely destroyed the Lions in Detroit. Um, and then no, they it go... was in Baltimore. That was in Baltimore. Oh, that was in Baltimore? Uh, yeah, yep. my bad. But they, uh, they beat them. They beat the Seahawks, who were also good at the time. And then they a couple weeks ago, they obviously tear up the 49ers in Santa Clara. And now they take care of business against Miami. They're just able to beat the good teams when it matters. And even all their losses, like we talked about, they were in control for a good part of the game. They just fumbled it at the end there. I think this is one of the most dangerous teams to play in the playoffs, especially because Lamar Jackson's playing at an MVP level and that defense is playing at a high level. So I'm interested to see how they progress through the playoff picture because they will have the bye week, obviously. So that'll be a good time to rest up. But then they'll be playing, I think, the winner of the 4-5 game, I think is how it works. So they could, we could get a Cleveland-Baltimore matchup there. And then uh, my other take that I'm proud of is we did breakout candidates and X-Factors for all 32 teams. And you kind of took the X-Factors for most of them. I kind of took the breakout candidates. And I said Justin Fields would be the Bears breakout candidate. And early in the year, that looked to be a lost cause, and then he gets injured. But coming back from that injury, he's been absolutely phenomenal. He's uh, – I don't want to say he's been – like miles above everyone else in his draft class. But this season, he's absolutely been the best QB from his class, uh, including Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Mac Jones, and uh, Trey Lance, who is a backup now. Most of those guys are backups now, except for Lawrence. But he's been very good uh, down the stretch this year. And like we talked about earlier, he's creating a tough conversation for the Bears front office moving forward. Hopefully, I, I'd like to see them keep him for a year and use their their treasure trove of picks to bolster the team around him. But we'll see what happens there. We will. And I think that's a good call. He has turned it on down the stretch. Uh, they've looked like a very competitive team like we talked about uh, earlier in the podcast. Uh, some of the good takes and going off kind of the Ravens and how that team is built. Uh, take I had was Eric DaCosta should be exec of the year. And I, I, I don't think that has changed. I mean, they we, we talked about this in the offseason of, of you want a front office that is in tandem with your coaching staff. You want a solid marriage and relationship between those two. And I, I, I couldn't I applaud that more. They bring in Todd Monken, who is a pass heavy guy, and they go, OK, we're going to bring in Nelson Aguilar. We're going to bring in Odell Beckham. And, and they might have overpaid Odell a little bit. Who cares? They draft Zay Flowers first round. They had Mark Andrews. Oh, Mark Andrews go down. We have the second-year tight end that was awesome his rookie year, and he's taken a step. Isaiah likely had a phenomenal one-handed catch on fourth down against the Dolphins and took it to the house. I, I mean, this is, this is a team that has answers for a lot of different things. And then you look on the defensive side. They go out. They trade for Roquan Smith. He allows them to kind of shut down some of these 21 personnel, 12 personnel, these heavy personnel package looks. And he does it, 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 Mike McDonald does it so well, but this is a team that can stop some of the most high-powered offenses, whether it be Kyle Shanahan, Mike McDaniel, uh, Andy Reid. Like, this is a defense that is ready to make a playoff push. This is an offense that is finding its gear. And I, this this feels different than 2019. This, this feels like they have answers for almost anything you can throw at them. And I think this is a team that is going to probably be in the Super Bowl. Yeah, I couldn't agree more there. 2019, it feels like Lamar Jackson was just dragging that offense to he was, the playoffs. Yeah. And because, like, he had Hollywood Brown who was injured and, like, Willie Sneed. And now, he even didn't though, have Mark Andrews then, but yeah, well, no, a, young, it was a very much younger Mark Andrews as well. Um, and now he doesn't have, or granted, he has an older Odell Beckham, but he has. Odell, who's been good this year. He's been better than I thought he would be after not playing at all last year. Zay Flowers has been phenomenal. I know both of us were big fans of him in the draft this year. And then even guys like Aguilar, who are like ancillary players, serve a role. And all of that meshing with Todd Munkin's scheme, it's, just, it's working out for the best. And I, I can't credit DeCosta more. And you talk about what they did last year, too, bringing in a new defensive coordinator and bringing in guys that fit to his strength in Rokon Smith and Kyle Hamilton, who went like 14th in the draft or something. I thought he was the best player in the draft. He's probably already the best safety in the league, both in fitting the run, tackling, and covering. So what they're what you're what they're able to do, like what you were talking about, being in tandem with the coaching staff year or like two years in a row, I couldn't think of a better executive or general manager to pick than Eric DaCosta. 
Yeah, no, I, I, I think he's that guy. Uh, this is a team that's just been so well coached, so well built over the past, like it feels like 15, 20 years at this point. Uh, and that's dating back to when they had Ray Lewis and Ed Reed on the defense to now who they have and and guys like Roquan Smith, and like you were saying, Kyle Hamilton. And they've they've been able to modify some things, but they still play a very physical brand of football that is on point with who the Baltimore Ravens are, which is awesome to see. Now, another take I had as we wrap up this section was I thought Josh Allen, I, I thought he would lead the league in passing touchdowns and total touchdowns. Uh, I think he's like tied for third or in the top five with passing touchdowns at 27. But him and Jalen Hurts, uh, unfortunately this year, um, in in 16 games, um, because we haven't played week 18 yet, um, they beat Cam's record. Uh, both of them have 15 rushing touchdowns. Uh, Josh Allen does lead the league in total touchdowns. And I, the Buffalo Bills have found kind of their way. Um, I know they had a lot of hiccups with turnovers. They, they they fired their offensive coordinator. But this is an offense and a team that I don't think anybody wants to play in the postseason. This is one of those teams that you want to see a wild card team kind of make a push for the Super Bowl. I think the Buffalo Bills are that team in the AFC. So um, Josh Allen's kind of the spearhead of that. I think if they had won a couple more games, he would definitely be in the MVP conversation. I know a lot of people on the analytics front want to say he is the MVP, but Again, there were too many poor performances earlier in the year for me to kind of give him uh, his due in that respect. Yeah, as far as the MVP goes, and I know it's evolved into more of a stats award, but to me, what Lamar Jackson's done, even though he doesn't have the stats in, a lot of that's because they blow out teams and put the backup QB in in the third and the fourth quarter instead of playing him the whole game. But that's neither here nor there. He's been dragging this offense forward. And uh, like you said, Josh Allen had a couple poor, poor performances earlier in the year, and it they kind of faltered. I think they were four and four at one point, maybe five and four. And when when you get kind of behind the chains like that, uh, so to speak, and you're not in you, like you don't you're not in the driver's seat for that number one seed, or you have to win the last game of the year to win your division, stuff like that. Whereas Baltimore's already taken care of that. They were they won their division like four weeks ago, and they were the number one seed. Uh, I think a couple of weeks ago after that Niners win, when that kind of stuff happened, or actually no, after this past week, but when that kind of stuff happens before the end of the year, you're in a good spot there. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely um, nice to kind of put yourself in the cruise control as the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, the bills are definitely still having to fight for stuff and they're a little bit beat up. It's one of those things that there are holes on that team and uh, there aren't holes on the Ravens uh, from what it's looked like over the past couple of weeks. So uh, definitely be interesting to see in terms of playoff matchups moving forward. And we'll have a better idea of kind of the scope of that after next week. Um, but we'll, we'll talk about the upcoming game against the the Bucks. We've kind of talked about it loosely already. Um, but this is this is a team that we lost to 21-18. Uh, we held a brief lead before a massive Mike Evans touchdown. And you hope if J.C. Horn's back, if he's able to kind of man up with him, um, I think Mike Evans had a couple catches against them, but there wasn't a lot of yak. And that's the big thing is if we can minimize kind of the yards after catch, we can keep everything in front of us exactly like Evero tries to scheme things up. And Brian Burns and Derek Brown get after Baker and, and make his life miserable. There's a shot. There, there's legitimately a shot because I think Chuba Hubbard's going to have a good game. Um, I think Bryce is going to keep trying to feed DJ Chark. And if he can, he can make a few catches, there's a chance. Uh, yeah, I agree. W looking back at that previous Bucks game, that was uh, another deluge game, another torrential downpour. Uh, man, Bryce has had some really rough uh, conditions to play in as a rookie. But even in that game, we were able, we were able to move the ball in spurts. I think uh, with clear skies here in Charlotte, I think the offense can be better than that. Like you said, the Bucks defense isn't a superstar unit like they were a couple years ago when they won the Super Bowl. So I think that there is like hope and a real ability to move the ball on Sunday. And then, like you said, our stars have to play like stars on defense. That's been the key to the game past like month or so now. And uh, JC, I don't know if JC Horn's going to play because I think he didn't play in hopes of preserving long-term uh, like preventing injury long-term. So I'm not sure if he's going to play this week, but we need Brown and Burns to step up if he doesn't, hopefully he does play, but we'll see there. We will. Um, 
I, I don't know if there's too much to really add on this. Uh, we'll, we'll obviously keep an eye on Baker's injury and if that impacts him, whether it's uh, putting a little bit of velocity on the ball, uh, whether him being skittish about being hits and, and maybe throwing a couple of balls earlier than he should and just affecting the timing and rhythm of that offense, we'll see. Uh, I know that they're an offense that likes leaning on the run game, even though they haven't found a lot of success there. Um, so we could put them in a situation where they're punting more often than they would um, or they had in the previous game. So we'll see if that changes at home at Bank of America in the season finale. Um, it's one of those situations that why I think, like we said, we're hopeful, uh, likely uh, hood wise. I, I think we're not going to win this game. So uh, moving on into uh, the college football championship uh, we're just going to briefly touch on the fact that um, we'll we'll probably discuss more of this on Tuesday, but the matchup between Washington and Michigan, um, I, 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 I'm very curious, um, not curious, I, I, I should back up on that. Um, Penix has has been phenomenal, but Adunze, uh, like you had said earlier in the year, I think he's he's completely showing out. I think somebody had a comp for him. I think it was quarterback Clawson. All right, he, he's more like a quarterback expert, but he compared Odunze uh, to like Cortland Sutton. Like, how do you how do you feel about that comp? Do you feel like he's a little bit better than that going into the NFL? Uh, that's really all I want to talk about more in this section. Is I, I was clearly wrong on him as a prospect. I think he is one of the better wide receivers. But where do you see him being in terms of like a a, a college the pro? Uh, yeah, we all miss on prospects, so there's no shame in that or anything. Uh, but I, I do think, I think right now he plays similarly to Sutton. But I think Sutton, like when I think of Sutton, he's more of a sideline or seam runner, not a lot of stuff, uh, intermediate or shorter over the middle. I think Odunze has the uh, change of direction ability to play a lot of that stuff. Uh, to me, and this game really showcased, I don't want to call him Devontae Adams, but the way he's able to, hide his hands until the perfect moment to catch the ball against Texas was very Devonte Adams esque. I think uh, I, I like Cortland Sutton for his body type, but I think Odunze can do more at the next level. It's hard to, to kind of think of a comp like that. I was thinking like he's, he's clearly not as good a route runner as Olave, who's one of the better route runners that I've seen, like younger receivers that I've seen, but like maybe a, like a bigger Olave, who isn't as sharp on his breaks and stuff like that, because Alave is pretty good at working the middle. Uh, they just don't, Derek Carr just can't find him because Derek Carr is not a good QB anymore. Um, but I, I think they play similarly and the way that they use their body, the way that they don't lay out their hands the whole time, like they can wait and then show them when the ball is actually there, the way that they can like have a good uh, contact balance at the catch point and kind of shake off the initial DB, I think are very similar, but I would, it, I would need to, a bit more time to come up with a true comp for that. Okay, we'll, we'll get more into that. Um, I will say I saw a bunch of Minnesota Vikings fans kind of tweet after the game. They would love to see Penix in a Vikings jersey. And because he isn't one of the top prospects, you could get him later first, maybe second round pick. And this is a guy that if you paired him with a Justin Jefferson, a Jordan Addison, a TJ Hawkinson, they have a homegrown offensive line. There could be some fireworks in Minnesota, especially if you're trying to move on from a Kirk Cousins next year. So um, we'll, we'll talk about more of this as the draft prospects go. We are in our final section as we wrap up this pod, and that's obviously perfect takes. Both of us missed last week. I had the Cowboys covering against the Lions. Uh, the line or the spread at that point uh, was six points. Uh, they won by one point, and there's a lot of argument that the Lions should have just won that game outright. Um, you you had Bama and Texas in the college football championship, and both of those games came down to the wire. It could have easily been flipped, and they both could have been playing that game, but a little off on that point. Um, our takes this week, hopefully we hit on these. Mine is, is that the Packers make the playoffs. I had them winning the division, uh, which would have obviously put them in the playoffs, but I do think that they make the playoffs this year. They, they get that seventh seed by uh, securing the dub uh, at home against Chicago. Chicago has been playing really well. So I think that game has a, a lot of potential to be one of the better matchups of the week between what we talked about, Eberflus's defense kind of stepping up, Jordan Love kind of coming into his own and that offense playing well. And since the Packers defense isn't good, 
this could be a shootout. And I, I think I think the Packers pull it out. I think they get that seventh seed. Uh, if the Rams lose to the 49ers, because both teams could be playing their backups because the Rams are kind of already in the playoffs, the Rams could fall to the seventh if the Packers win, uh, which will be interesting to kind of keep an eye on. I don't like that take, and I'm going to tell you why. Because <laughs> my take is not directly, but it is opposed to that one. And I think the Seahawks are going to make the playoffs. Now, you talk about the the Green Bay Packers hosting the Bears. Well, the Bears have a lot to play for. Justin Fields has a lot to play for. He has to prove that he's the QB of the future. And like we talked about, both sides of the ball for the Bears have been playing at a high level recently. And only one side for the Packers has been playing at a high level. And I think if the bears are able to score 37 against the Falcons, uh, I'm a big Ryan Nielsen fan. I think if that's, if they're able to do that and now it is in Lambeau, so it's more of a hostile environment, but I think they could easily score 30 points against the green Bay Packers. And I think the, the bears defense is more of a test for green Bay than some of the recent defenses they faced like the Panthers. So I think that would be interesting, but no, I have Seattle, Winning on the road in Arizona and taking that seven seed or six seed, pending how the Rams end up falling. I think the Rams have the uh, tiebreaker on them. So I think it would be six, seven in that order. But I like Seattle to win and lock up that final wild card. Okay. Well, you guys heard it here first. Uh, One of us will be right on our perfect takes because the one depends on kind of the other. Um, Watch it be Minnesota somehow. (laughs) Yeah, both Seattle. And uh, Green Bay lose, Minnesota sneaks in. Uh, That would be pretty wild. Um, We will keep you guys updated next week on kind of the outcome of that. Um, We will post our takes this week. I think this was the first week we did it. A lot, lot, I've been busy with some big datable stuff uh, down the pipeline. That'll be wrapped up next Monday. So I'll have more time to dedicate to kind of this and and some of our podcast um, production and output. So uh, with that, we are wrapped up for the week. If you guys have any questions, obviously, as we've said all year, shoot them to us at perfect underscore takes. Give us a follow. Give us a like. Uh, You can find us on Spotify, Apple, and YouTube. And with that, we're wrapped up.